Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, May 9th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So we have a whole boat here today because we have a bunch of news to get to. We haven't had a news episode since last week. Uh, let's start first with Fast and the Furious. Longtime producer Neil Moritz has been uh, kicked out of the franchise. Brad, what's going on here? Yes, uh, Neil Moritz has been part of Fast and Furious forever. Uh, he's been a key part of every single movie, um, working closely uh, with Chris Morgan, who's been a franchise writer. Um, and he's just he's just been involved every step of the way. But apparently uh, behind the scenes, he is quite difficult to work with. Um, and Universal has gotten sick of having to battle him uh, in, in court with various lawsuits, uh, a lot of business dealings and things like that, that uh, he makes into a bigger problem than they need, need to be. Uh, and so the, the last straw, I guess, was with Hobbs and Shaw recently. Uh, there's been some problems with uh, behind the scenes as far as like what uh, how Neil Morris wants to be compensated and what he's supposed to be uh, given. Uh, including a, a deal that is uh, includes a $2 million fee and first dollar gross. 
which means a percentage of the gross box office revenue from the film's first day of release. Um, and apparently this happened after there was a proposal to have the key players in the Fast and Furious franchise do a profit sharing pool instead of an initial first dollar gross where uh, they would still get a share of the box office, but not until it reached a certain point. So that way the stu- studio could recoup the, um, their costs earlier uh, in the, the box office run. And people like Dwayne Johnson were on board to participate, but apparently Neil Moritz uh, didn't want to, made the process difficult. And so this forced them to uh, push him out from working on Hobbs and Shaw anymore. And they are also going to figure out a deal to uh, pay him to no longer be involved in any of the other <laughs> Fast and the Furious movies from here on out. Um, ben, I know you're a big fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise. I feel like producer Neil Moritz, I I feel like I know him mostly like he produces films where he like casts like a rapper as like a supporting character. Like that seems to be the thing he does. Like it, it, is the loss of Neil Moritz mean anything to you? Um, I don't know, man. I, I think it's so hard to talk about authorship and ownership over franchises like this where, you know, he has been there from the beginning. So I'm not sure what his exact role is. And like the producer title is such a nebulous thing in Hollywood, too. You know, like you can you can be a producer on something and basically just uh, be somebody who like uh, brought the project to a particular star or something like that. But then also on the other end of that, you can be somebody who's like integral to the production and, you know, actually doing all the work of scheduling and, and organizing uh, like every, you know, aspect of, of making sure the movie actually happens. So I'm, I've never heard specific stories about what Neil Morris has done on this movie or, or on this franchise. So I can't really say, but I, you know, as just somebody who's like a purist who loves this franchise, I am sad that they couldn't figure out a way to make this work. I'm always sad when a member of the family goes in a, a different direction. <laughs> uh, justice for Neil? Hashtag? No? <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not sure. It sounds like, from what Brad was saying, it sounds like this may be like a, a deserved split uh, from his behavior, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to get a paycheck anyways. Uh, but let's talk, talk about Hellraiser. They are remaking Hellraiser, and David S. Goyer is involved. Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, Hollywood has been trying to do a Hellraiser movie for a while now. Uh, back in 2006, Dimension Films announced they were officially remaking it, and then it never happened. Uh, and, you know, there's been rumblings about a potential remake off and on ever since, but now it looks like it's it's actually happening. And uh, David Goyer, who wrote Batman Begins, and he has a story credit on The Dark Knight, and he has a, a bunch of other credits to his names. He's sort of like a go-to screenwriter. Uh, he's he's doing the script, and he's producing the movie, and uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'm, I'm not against a Hellraiser remake. I actually think that's one of the franchises that could benefit from a remake, because there's a lot of room there for improvement, and there's a lot of room there to take the, the basic ideas and do something interesting with them but you have to get someone who's willing to be really committed to being like dark and weird and uh you know even like you know kinky would be a good word for it and i don't really i don't get that from david goyer's scripts but maybe he has this this hidden side that's that he's finally gonna unleash for his hellraiser script who knows but chris he is one of those guys that has like tattoos all up and down his arms Oh, all right. Well, then I, I take it all back. This is going to be a great script. <laughs> I, I actually interviewed David Goyer uh, 
what was it yesterday, the day before, something like that. Um, for actually two days ago, for the Star Wars Vader Immortal VR experience, you will be able to read that interview on the site tomorrow. But I asked him about Hellraiser, and he really couldn't talk about it. But he said it's cool, and it's been something he's been working on for quite some time. I I can tell you, you know, I don't really have a huge experience with Hellraiser. I I feel like, um visually it's always been has like iconic uh has a bit of iconicness to it like the the character uh himself and the the things that are involved in this world but the story was never at that same level is that the case chris uh i agree i i i know people will disagree with me i'm not a huge fan of any of the Hellraiser, I, I love the concepts and like you said I, I really love the, you know the aesthetic i love the visuals you know pinhead as a as a visual character is great but um you know and even it's that, not even that box thing what is the box yeah thing? the uh <laughs> the, the lamont configuration it's called yeah uh and you know all that stuff that's that's great in theory it's just been kind of uh, not great in execution i really what's going to determine how this movie turns out isn't so much the script it's the director if they find a director who's really good at creating like stunning and disturbing visuals this will turn out all right but if they get you know some like boring workman director i'm not going to be that excited about it so we'll have to wait and see what i'm fearing is they're going to make hellraiser a or they're going to make pinhead a, a cg creation uh, i really hope not I, I think no one would do that but you never know these yeah. days like a big big cgi pinhead yeah you don't know Okay, um, let's move on to Disney. While we were recording the water cooler the other day, some big news broke. They basically announced uh, changes in their release schedule for the next three years plus. Uh, but on top of that was the news that we're getting three new Star Wars movies. But we're not getting them anytime soon. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, Star Wars is taking a three-year break from the big screen. So according to uh, a Disney press release, three new as-yet-untitled Star Wars films will release on the pre-Christmas weekend every other year beginning in 2022. So uh, that means that this uh, this winter, after The Rise of Skywalker comes out, it's going to be three years until we see another Star Wars movie on the big screen. Um, I, I feel like that's good news because I've, I've heard a lot of people in the wake of Avengers Endgame talking about how seeing the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home and how it, it, it just sort of like uh, takes away some of the power of Endgame, knowing that like really we're jumping right back into this. I think, Chris, you may have said something like that recently as well. Um, and And I think the idea of the rise of Skywalker uh, being the ending of the Skywalker saga and not immediately having a trailer or a marketing campaign gear up for a new Star Wars movie is going to maybe add a sense of finality to that movie and, and make it feel a little bit more special. But what do you guys think? Well, there's also been people talking about, you know, quote unquote, Star Wars fatigue, which to me is like ridiculous because we've gotten what we're going to we've had four films in the last like six years or so, maybe more than that. Um I don't know. And Marvel comes out with like three films in a year. I, I like why. Why are people getting fatigued of Star Wars but not Marvel? Um, yeah. What, what do you guys think, Brad? I mean, for me, I think that the issue is is that there's not as much variety in Star Wars yet as there is in the Marvel movies. Um, obviously, Marvel has their own formula and, and style, but there's still you know a, a unique traits and characters between the films that allow us for some variance. But Star Wars, 
they've been so strict about the style and what they want to do with the um, with the stories that there's not really as as much uh, you know like I said variance that you can do with the genre um, uh, within those movies and so I feel like if they can branch out a little bit and do something like that then Star Wars might be a little bit more accessible but otherwise I don't think Star Wars has the staying power or the box office interest that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has right now, uh, simply because the Star Wars audience by nature is just a little bit more niche. The Marvel movies are more accessible to general audiences. So I, I can understand the fatigue idea, especially with you know them not being too sure how they want to approach future movies. Obviously, Solo has them rethinking their approach to any possibility of standalone movies and how they want to do that. So, especially uh, prequels. Yeah, exactly. I, I think a break is good. I think them they need to re- recoup and figure out what to do to how to approach it. And I, I feel like it'll make Star Wars feel uh, a little bit more special again. Uh, I, I do think giving it a few years off and then doing every other year instead of every year is is a good move. Um, uh, I, I don't have Star Wars fatigue, but I'm also not like, you know... I'm also not like, yeah, I, we, I, if there's not a new Star Wars movie, I'm going to go crazy. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle where I, I, I'll like it if the movie is good. And if the movie is not good, I'll just forget about it. But some people don't. Some people lack that ability for some reason. And they they like to go insane. And, you know, it's all right. Everyone just calm down. That's all I'm suggesting. And then, of course, there's the Mandalorian and the Cassian Andor show uh, or shows on Disney Plus. So that'll that'll help fill the gap, I think, for people who are. You know those hardcore fans, and, and I'll just say it. Chris talk. Chris is talking about me. Okay, so like, <laughs> no, 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 I, no, I, I, no, no, no. He is because I'm going to go insane with three years of no Star Wars movies. Um, you're gonna have you'll have the Mandalorian, like Ben said. You'll have Star Wars Land. You can hop in the car anytime you want and drive <laughs> over there. True. That is true. I'll have other stuff in in this yeah. galaxy far, far away. Ben, and you can always rewatch, you know, the older movies, and I'm sure. Eventually, they're going to put out new editions of stuff. We'll be we'll be okay, Peter. It'll be okay. I just wish I wish that they had not gone with Solo, a Star Wars story, as their second standalone movie. I wish that they were gunning for more films like Rogue One, where that was supposed to be kind of like a, a heist movie. Like if if they had approached things like Marvel did, and not the, you know the whole cinematic universe, but in that they were trying to tackle different genres in this galaxy far far away i feel like with new characters that could be exciting and i feel like people the people that are burnt out on this are just burnt out because they're like i don't want to you know get obi-wan's origin movie or something like that do you know what i mean um ben do we know what any of these movies are going to be so uh the first so there's they talked about three movies coming uh, every other year starting in 2022 so we're not sure what the order of these are going to be yet, but we know that Ryan Johnson is working on his trilogy. So presumably one of the first two films will be the first entry in that. And then the same thing for uh, David Benioff and, and D.B. Weiss, the Game of Thrones showrunners. They also have their own separate trilogy trilogy that they're developing. So I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it makes sense for them to, depending on where they are in the stories and all that, like the script phases and production and all that stuff, for them to alternate those Wait, so, so you're suggesting well, we, we we could get the first chapter of a Ryan Johnson trilogy and then have to wait four years to get the second installment? That would be um, cool. I would actually like that because the hype would build instead of like, yeah, we'll wait till now. I think that'd be cool. I, I feel like yeah. two years is even 
a lot nowadays. Like, look at what happened with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. He waited too long for that sequel, and the excitement on that franchise burned out really quick. Yeah, but that movie was also not good. I mean, I think that... Yeah. But also, I should add that I heard from the movie man 88888 on YouTube that Ryan Johnson was fired, so we probably don't have to worry about his movies. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just feel like, you know, Disney and Lucasfilm wouldn't have announced both the Ryan Johnson thing and the Benioff and Weiss thing if, uh, they were going to, you know, play out either of their trilogies all in a row, because that means that they would have made those announcements a year or two ago. And then the first entry in one of those trilogies wouldn't hit screens until after 2026. That's like such a long gap for a company. You know, they wouldn't have made that announcement, I think, if they I don't know. I guess maybe there's a chance that they they completely revamped their game plan after they made that announcement. And they're just like, well, shit, now I don't know what we're going to do. But um, but you're also like in that theory, we're waiting five years for the first film in the the Star Wars trilogy from the Game of Thrones guys. Uh, That's a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. They're they're trying to make it uh, a special thing again. And I I think, you know, regardless of what franchise or what story they're going to be telling, unless they tell one thing all the way through people are going to be waiting for a while i think i think the idea of waiting is going to like star wars fans are going to have to come to terms with that because that seems like a a big thing that's happening on the big screen anyway uh coming up like we're just going to have to get used to uh you know multiple years in between movies and maybe like chris was saying maybe that's going to be a benefit to the quality of these films like you know, J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek movies maybe weren't the greatest, but maybe they could have been if they had more time in between and fan excitement was, you know, uh, kept up more like it probably will be with Star Wars. Yeah, my fingers are still crossed that that they could add Star Wars films in between these. Do you know I mean like that? This is just, you know, a putting a, ten, a, a, a um, flag in the, the sand for now. But um, okay, let's talk about some of the Fox mutant properties that moved over to Disney. There's been some shifting there as well. Chris, tell us about it. Oh boy! All right, so New Mutants is a movie that may come out someday, but who is it knows? A movie, Chris? Is it really a movie? I, I really don't know. I'm starting to have my doubts. So the the first trailer for New Mutants came in 2017, which seems like a very long time ago, even though it's not that long. Uh, at the time. It was supposed to open April 13th, 2018, which is my birthday, I should add. Uh, but no, it didn't open then. It, it got pushed to February 22nd, 2019. And then it got pushed again to August 2nd, 2019. Uh, August is, of course, fast approaching. And now it's been pushed again. Now it will, uh, quote unquote, open on April 3rd, 2020. Uh, part of the reason for this is they want to do reshoots but the weird the weird thing is even though they announced these reshoots over a year ago uh Maisie Williams you know one of the cast members actually revealed in March that the reshoots have yet to happen so i don't know what's going on with this movie and it's just it's very weird because i refuse to believe this movie is that bad i mean Every trailer for Dark Phoenix looks terrible to me, and Fox and Disney have no trouble releasing that. I, I, at this point, I just wish they would just cut their losses and release what they have, because it just seems like the longer they push it, 
the more of a joke this movie becomes. Like at this point, this movie has become a punchline. And I honestly thought the first trailer for this looked really cool. I like that this looked like a horror movie, basically, because that's not like any other superhero movie from, you know, Marvel that we've gotten before. Like this looked like something different and apparently it, it was either too different or just awful and, and no one wants to release it. So as of now, it's supposed to come out April 3rd, 2020. We'll see. Uh, another Marvel title that is not coming out at all is Gambit, uh, the, the Channing Tatum movie, which kept shuffling around, kept losing directors. And at this point, I feel like we all knew this wasn't coming out. And now Disney has made it official by just pulling it completely and uh, it's done. Maybe, maybe you know, someday in the future, someone will try again to make a Gambit movie. But the the Channing Tatum version is officially dead. I mean, if I was Disney, I would just release New Mutants on the Disney Plus streaming service. Or is that R rated or is PG? I think it's PG thirteen, right? I mean, they could always, if they wanted to recut it, they could recut it to PG thirteen if it is R to release it there. Yeah, I mean. That seems like it would be a big boom for that service to be like we we have an original Marvel movie hitting the service at launch. Yeah, I don't I really don't know what is up with this movie. I, if someone out there <laughs> knows the truth, please write in because I'm dying to know. We'll, we'll keep it confidential because I really want to know what is so wrong with this movie. Yeah, let us know. Peter at slashfilm.com. And they have changed the whole slate, their entire slate for the next like three or three plus years. That includes the Avatar movies, that includes Artemis Fowl. Uh, ben, what are like the big things we need to know? Yeah, so Avatar 2, a movie that we've been waiting on for several years, uh, has been delayed yet again. So now Avatar 2 is coming out in December of 2021. Avatar 3 is coming in 2023. Avatar 4 in 2025. And guys, Avatar 5 in 2027. I was 24 years old when the first Avatar came out. I will be 42 years old when Avatar 5 hits theaters. That is insane to me. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what's happening now. Which one of those is the seed bearer? That's the one I'm most excited for. <laughs> I don't think we have the uh, the official locked-in um, subtitles attached to yeah. the, the numeric uh, entries yet, but I'm sure one of them will be the seed bearer. By the way, when Avatar 2 was first announced, they were expecting a 2014 release date. So, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so what so else yeah, other that, than Avatar? Yeah, that's the big one. Um, and then uh, Disney has also pushed Artemis Fowl. They're, they're moving that back to May of 2020. Uh, they have a an adaptation of Call of the Wild that is coming out in February of 2020. Um, Mulan is coming out in March of 2020. And one of the movies that people actually get to see this year is Maleficent Mistress of Evil, which is coming on October 18th, uh, 2019. So you can find the full list on SlashFilm.com. I'll link all the articles in the show notes. Uh, let's talk about something that is coming to Disney Plus. That's the Lady and the Tramp uh, live action remake, which uh, is going to have to have some changes to to meet the you know culture of today. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yes, when when I say Lady and the Tramp, there are likely two things that come to your mind. One is, of course, the the spaghetti scene where the dogs share some spaghetti, and the other is probably the We Are Siamese song, where two Siamese cats come out and sing a very racially insensitive, very dated song that was probably 
funny when the movie came out and i'll admit it's a catchy song it's an earworm that gets stuck in your head but it uh here in the 21st century it just comes off as particularly tone deaf so uh disney is well aware of this and rather than just recreate it for their live action remake uh janelle monet and her her uh collective are reworking it um they're saying that it's going to be reinvented i don't really know what that means but they also add that the cats in this live action one aren't going to be Siamese cats. So it just sounds like they're literally just changing it completely, which is fine. Uh, they're, you know, they're not going to be Siamese cats anymore. They're not going to have the Siamese song. And I can't imagine anyone getting upset about this. This is clearly the right move. But then again, uh, the world is a hellhole, and I'm sure someone out there will get angry about this being too uh, PC or something like that. And those people should be ignored. Wait, so are they going to do a different version of the song? It's going to be like, we are tabby cats. Oh, no. we are- <laughs> I guess it'll have like a similar, vi- like it'll have a similar vibe in that, you know, that scene is all about those cats framing the dog like lady for wrecking the house. So I'm guessing it'll be a song about, you know, those cats being like, we're going to wreck the house, but it's not going to be a, you know, them being Siamese cats anymore. Yeah. Okay, uh, we have hit the point in the podcast that we're going to talk about Avengers Endgame. If you have not seen the movie, you probably won't want to listen to the next few stories. But uh, the the spoiler embargo is officially lifted, as the, the Russo brother said. So you have been warned. Here we go. Uh, the first story is that, um, you know, going coming out of Endgame, I've had some friends that have said to me, I was expecting more people to die uh, out of those original Avengers. And, uh, you know, obviously... Tony did die. Uh, Black Widow did die. Um, Captain America may as well be dead. He's retired. Um, but you have a bunch of people that are still alive, like Hawkeye. You have uh, Hulk. right? And you have Thor, which we'll get to in a minute. Steve is an old man now. He, he can't do what he could do in his prime. And Hulk, apparently, has also uh, encountered some changes that uh, will, will affect his character from the future of the MCU. Brad, tell us about it. Yes. Uh, so in Avengers Endgame, Hulk is the one uh, who takes on the task of using the uh, newly constructed nano gauntlet, as it's officially called, uh, to snap everybody back into existence who was turned to dust when Thanos snapped his fingers at the end of Avengers Infinity War. Uh, and the reason Hulk did it is because apparently the radiation that's put off by the Infinity Stones is mostly gamma. That's the radiation that turned Bruce Banner into the Hulk, and so it will have the least effect on him uh, for using the power of the Infinity Stones to to undo this act. Um, but as we see in the movie, when he does it, just like with Thanos uh, and with Tony, it completely messes up uh, his arm and works its way up through his shoulder. Uh, during the funeral scene at, at the end of Endgame, we see that he has his arm uh, in some kind of sling. So there's clearly some uh, damage there. And uh, director Joe Russo partook in a recent Q&A uh, and talked about this and said that it's actually a, a permanent injury. Uh, he says, quote, that's permanent damage, the same way that it was permanent damage with Thanos. It's irreversible damage. Uh, his arm, if you noticed, it's a lot skinnier. It's blackened. So he loses a lot of strength there. But... Uh, almost in that same breath, he did backtrack a little bit and say, uh, but who knows, there's a lot of smart people left. Maybe someone helps him repair that. Maybe someone gives him a new arm. I have no idea where that character goes from here. The nice thing is we didn't have to pay attention to where it goes after this. We just try to tell a satisfying ending. 
So even though he says the damage is permanent, it doesn't necessarily mean it can't be undone in some way in the future. Um, whether it's by Hulk or somebody else, you know, who has the smarts to to heal him or something like that. I mean, we're talking about a universe where they were able to, you know, create an entire being uh, from synthetic materials like vibranium and an infinity stone uh, in the form of vision. So I feel like they can probably fix Hulk's arm somehow. Yeah, but you don't have the genius that was Tony Stark around to to True, help. But but maybe we'll have the genius of Reed Richards sometime in the future. Yeah, that's possible. I I would. I don't know. I, I I've already said it on, on on a past version of this podcast, a past edition of this podcast, that I'd like to see Hulk be the guy, like basically Q for the Avengers. That he doesn't go out on the missions, and he's the you know kind of the the smart guy that invents the stuff, and uh, you know is able to make the uh, exposition funny. So, um, okay, let's talk about Thor. I mentioned Thor. Um, this movie leaves Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, I was actually wondering this myself. How involved is James Gunn in a decision like that? Like, you know, he already wrote Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Did he know know that Thor was going to the, be there? Did he know that Gamora wouldn't? Chris, what is the answer to these questions? Uh, apparently not, although I, I, I'm sure he has some sort of knowledge. But the, the Russo brothers said that you know nothing about Gunn's Guardians 3 script influenced how they wrote the end of Endgame. They even said that they haven't read James Gunn's Guardians 3 script because you know they've been busy. Uh, at the same time that doesn't mean, you know, at some point James Gunn didn't talk with them about <laughs> the direction of where it's going, but it sounds like if there was any influence it was very very minimal to the point where it was almost non-existent. The Russo brothers also give this spiel in their interview where they're like, you know, Kevin Feige doesn't care about the future. He t- says one film at a time, which uh, no offense is, is utter bullshit. There's no way that's true. But um, uh, you know, I, I think what they're trying to say there is, you know, even though they do think about the future, they, they leave a little wiggle room for each filmmaker to sort of do their own thing if need be. And they always have some sort of like fail safe in place to, you know, work things out. They also say, you know, they're confident enough that even if they've painted James Gunn into a corner, they know he's, he's a good enough writer that he can figure things out. So uh, that's, that's where it stands. Although I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're keeping some things from us. I mean, it seems interesting to me because this movie clearly sets up guardians three to be like them going in search of Gamora like the alternate universe Gamora that is now in our prime universe. And if James Gunn's Guardians 3 doesn't have any of that, that would be weird. It would be weird, especially if it doesn't have like Thor involved because, you know, he goes with them. Like if the movie starts and they're just like, well, we dropped Thor off, it's going to be like really disappointing. So I, I hope there's something in there. Well, I think they said that they created the end of Endgame before they wrote the script for Infinity War. And this was in like 2016 or something. So I, I think they must have known, you know, at least the broad strokes of how all of the characters were going to wrap up. So they probably told Gunn before that, because we know that he's had his script for Guardians 3 written for a long time now. But I think I think he must have been going off of, you know, the information that they, you know, he was writing toward their ending. No, I, I think it's probably right. I think they probably told Gunn, you know, we're going to leave them in this capacity and, you know, go. And he probably wrote his thing from there. Okay, one final story, uh, one that is causing some controversy around the interwebs. This is that Marvel Studios will will 
be announcing their first openly gay superhero ca- character sometime soon. Yes. Uh, so obviously Marvel Studios in uh, their advancement of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been making their roster of superheroes a little bit more diverse. Uh, Black Panther was a very big deal for for giving Chadwick Boseman's character the spotlight. Uh, basically their first uh, black superhero to get their own solo movie. Uh, Captain Marvel did the same thing for female superheroes by giving one of them her own movie. We have Shang-Chi coming up, which will do the same thing. Um, so they're, they're uh, expanding their roster of diverse characters. Uh, and part of ex- uh, widening that diversity will include introducing an openly gay superhero. And this comes on the tails of uh, Anthony and Joe Russo kind of patting themselves on the back for making Joe Russo's cameo in Avengers Endgame an openly gay character who is part of a group therapy session that Steve Rogers is overseeing. Uh, and so they were asked about, you know, whether this was the first openly gay character in the MCU. And uh, they confirmed, yes, the uh, openly gay. But there's been insinuations about other character sexuality. Um, and we assume that they're talking about uh, Tessa Thompson's revelation that Valkyrie is bisexual. It's something that wasn't included in the movie, even though there was a scene that was cut from Thor Ragnarok that would have made it pretty clear. So I think that's where that insinuation comes from. But apparently... Uh, according to Joe Russo anyway, that um, there will be an announcement sometime soon uh, from Kevin Feige that there will be characters part of the LGBT community involved in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, They wouldn't answer, uh, you know, who or anything like that. They said that's a story for another day. Um, But there also has been insinuation previously by Kevin Feige that there are not only new characters coming, but there will also be characters that uh, we've already met who have a different sexual orientation other than straight. Um, Kevin Feige has has hinted at that, and it could be characters even other than Valkyrie that we know, because there are, there have been some characters where their preference as far as romance is concerned hasn't been explored yet. Uh, Captain Marvel's sexual present, uh, preference hasn't been revealed so far, and there's plenty of other characters who haven't had any sort of romantic subplot where that could be a detail uh, that's revealed in the future. But otherwise, one thing that we uh, seem to know is that a casting breakdown for the Eternals says that there's a character uh, referred to as James uh, who will be openly gay slash bisexual in that movie. So that will likely be the first new uh, superhero who gets introduced in in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That and, is, and we've heard that they're like seeking out an actual gay actor to to play that role as well. Right. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, because when you you don't necessarily want someone, you know, pretending in that situation, you kind of want to spread representation, not just for the characters, but also for the actors out there as well. I'm really wondering how, you know, mainstream America is going to react to this once they actually see a gay relationship in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I know, and I said this on uh, the Slash Homecast, but a friend of mine was at a screening of Endgame, you know, a public screening, and after, you know, at that scene... Uh, in the group, uh, that group scene with uh, Russo, basically talking about his gay relationship, a father grabbed his uh, his son and his daughter and like stormed out of the theater, angry. Yeah, a friend of mine told me that that happened in one of his uh, viewings too. That a family got up immediately after that scene and left. And you still and uh, like in my mind, like good, you don't deserve things like this yeah. if you're gonna be assholes. Yeah. No, totally. And I'm, I'm I'm also glad that, like, you know, this is in this movie and this is going to be, like, either the number one or number two movie of all time. And, you know, those right wing folks can't say that, like, 
you know, having th- that little small part in this movie had any effect on the box office whatsoever, which uh, makes me happy. But, um, okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. I know you guys have a bunch of articles on the site that you want to plug. Brad, plug your article. Uh, so, yeah, I wrote um, a piece early this week about Avengers Endgame, uh, kind of in reaction to some articles I had seen written around the web talking about how uh, the new Thor in Avengers Endgame is being fat shamed uh, by how he's presented in the movie and used for comedic relief. But based on his character arc and how uh, his trauma is treated and the sort of the relationship and reputation that the, the, the characters who give him a hard time have within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, I don't think it's fat shaming whatsoever. I wrote a very uh, extensive piece reacting to this and... Um, as a, a fellow fat guy, I don't have a problem with how the character is handled whatsoever. And I think that actually um, it, it really advances Thor's character in a very interesting way and actually treats him with a lot of uh, respect. Yeah. I feel like the only comic moment that is questionable is his mom telling him to go eat a salad. But other than I, that... I, I addressed that specifically in my piece, and I disagree with it wholeheartedly. Okay. Um, well, you can read that on SlashFilm.com, LinkedIn, the show notes. Ben plug uh, what you did yesterday yeah in addition to all of the spider-man far from home coverage which you can find in yesterday's show notes uh last night i had a chance to meet george r R. martin on the red carpet of a tolkien screening in los angeles and i talked to him uh very briefly but got uh some good answers from him about uh his relationship with the lord of the rings and whether tolkien would have liked his work and one big regret that he had um so yeah check that out that's linked in the show notes for this episode and the It Chapter 2 trailer is finally online. Chris, you did a breakdown? I did. I did a big, deep dive, extensive breakdown into this trailer because this is this is the stuff I get nerdy about. And, uh, you know, I, I relate a bunch of stuff in a trailer to how it relates to the book and how it differs from the book. So if you're curious about all that, and I hope you are, go check it out. It's up right now. Very cool. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the links to all the stuff we talked about today in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.